Unto thee, O Lord, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, do I lift up my soul, unto thee, O Lord, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, do I lift up my soul, O my God, I trust in thee, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Practicology Podcast, episode 126, The Most Important Thing About Knowing God's Will. Now, what you just heard was a little recording of the Noxus and Cain singing some of the words of Psalm 25. Of course, our August Summer Challenge is on right now. And if you're wanting to memorize Psalm 25 in the King James Version, you do have a distinct advantage, admittedly. Because if you can sing that song we just opened with, then you've already got a good portion of the psalm memorized. Do you think knowing that song helps with memorizing it in other translations as well, Mike? Well, I think it must. I, I've been working away at memorizing this psalm for a bit now, and, and it seems to be coming to me easier than some of the other passages we've worked on in the past, so I'm pretty sure it must be that old camp song that's uh, helping me right now. I guess you can be the judge, though, Matthew. Uh, as you listen to me give it a go here, I'm going to try and recite this first week's section from the ESV. So the superscription says of David, and then David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Fantastic. Maybe one word different, Mike. Lead me in your truth and teach me to begin verse number five, but... Ah, good catch. All right, thank you. Good to catch you on something. I don't often get to catch you on anything, so... But you get uh, great marks from either, Mike. Fantastic. And of course, one of the prominent themes in Psalm 25 is the theme of guidance. The word for way occurs six times through this psalm, and the word for paths twice. And even in those first five verses you just recited, I, I heard that theme coming up already. Yeah, that's right. Verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. So as we work through this song together, we want to think together in, in at least some of the episodes about the topic of guidance and knowing God's will. And I know that's a good thing to consider, to focus upon, because we know that many who are listening to this podcast are younger. You're at formative stages of your life, and you've got some pretty massive decisions to make. One of the crazy things about life is that we have to make the biggest decisions when we feel least prepared to make them. And then sometimes when we hit our 40s, we are also making big decisions. We're at a major crossroads, and we recognize that these decisions that we're making have a big impact on other people as well. If we're married and God has given us a family, we're aware that the big decisions we make now will impact our children and maybe even our grandchildren. So I don't think we ever grow out of the need for the Lord's guidance. And so at various stages in our lives, we find ourselves asking, how can I know God's will for my life? And I find that the first five verses of this psalm are really helpful 
because they tell us what the most important thing is in knowing God's will. And the ESV does a great job at preserving the Hebrew word order and emphasis in verse 1. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. So make sure you're sitting down because, surprise, surprise, the most important thing about knowing the will of God is God. Wow, what a shocker. But, you know, if I'm in a new place and I'm trying to find the venue that we're going to, if I stop and ask some guy for help, I'm not really that interested in him, to be honest. It's not him that I'm interested in, it's his guidance. And now I think what you're hinting at, when it comes to knowing God's will for our lives, maybe we're sometimes more interested in knowing the plan than the person. Yeah, in the example you gave, you want the guidance, not the guy. And I know in my life, as I look back over it, uh, that very often I've wanted God's guidance more than him, the guide. It's like, Lord, can you tell me how to get to job fulfillment or to marriage fulfillment? Do I turn left up ahead here or do I hang a right? So you see what that sounds like? It sounds like I want the steps more than my Savior. But this opening part of Psalm 25 can help us experience guidance the way we're meant to experience it. It can help us see that God is the most important priority in knowing God's guidance. This is what this short section tells us about getting guidance. Number one, it's to God we turn. Number two, it's in God we trust. And number three, it's God-likeness that we want. So let's start with that first one. It's to God we turn. And this comes from that opening line, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And of course, that's the opening line of the song that gets repeated. So it's well ingrained in our minds, but it's a bit of a peculiar phrase. What does it mean to lift up our soul to God? Well, I've been thinking about that quite a bit. And it does help to read the Psalms in context because very often the Psalms are arranged so that there are connections between them. And so in the previous Psalm, Psalm 24, verse 4, the person who gets to stay in God's presence, it says, does not lift up his soul to what is false. That is, he doesn't lift it up to an idol, to a false god. Okay, so in light of that, maybe this lifting up the soul is like worship. It's something we all do. The only question is, to whom do we lift up our soul? Is it to a false god or is it to the Lord? Exactly right, yeah. We all have something or someone that masters us and controls us. And the question is, well, who is it? What is it? It's either the Lord God or it's a false god, an idol. And Paul says something similar in Romans 6. He says our master used to be sin and unrighteousness, and we would present our bodies to this tyrant every day and say, here I am, I'm on time for work again, I'm ready to serve you and obey you today. But when we got saved, we died to that old master through our union with Christ. And Paul tells us we no longer need to show up for work for sin ever again. It's like this. Every morning, the Christian walks down the street and passes by the offices of sin and unrighteousness. And she thinks, I no longer need to work for those shady characters. I no longer need to present myself to them for obedience. And then this believer, after passing by that horrible place of business, she comes to the organization run by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with joy, she bounds up the steps and throws open the door. And she presents herself to her new master. She says, I lift up my soul to you, Lord. I present my body to you. I'm here to serve you, worship you, obey you. It's to you I lift up my soul. It's to you I turn. It's to you I direct my life and desires to you. 
Mm-hmm. And Mike, it strikes me as you use that illustration and put it that way that this really is an act of worship. I mean, what what joy it must bring to God's heart to see us no longer turning at that other part of the street, that the lane that goes to Mr. Sin and Unright, but now to see us turn to Him and begin each day saying, Father, I turn to you. Lord, uh, I'm showing up for work at your place of business, and I'm so glad that you're my master now rather than that old tyrant that I used to work for. And that takes us to the second point. Not only is it to God we turn, but it's in God we trust. And so this is the second line of the psalm, Oh my God, in you I trust. The act of lifting up our soul to God, our self to God, of turning ourselves and directing ourselves to Him is an act of entrusting ourselves to Him. And then David mentions uh, enemies, and he says, Let me not be put to shame, let not my enemies exalt over me. And that shame or disappointment he's referring to is the shame of putting your confidence in someone or something. And then in the end, everyone seeing that that person or thing let you down. Okay, so let's try and give an example of this. Let's say that Let's say that someone goes all in on a pyramid scheme and they're selling products left, right, and center, and they're telling you this is going to change your life, and in two years, I'm going to retire, spend the rest of my life on a yacht while you'll still be stuck in the same old job if you don't get in on this money-making enterprise right now. But then two years pass, and if you ask them about it, they'll be ashamed. They'll have egg on their face. They were so confident that this business and product would change their life, and now they don't want to talk about it because it let them down. Yeah, well, by the way, Matthew, when we're done recording, uh, remind me to tell you about this new product I'm selling. It's totally transformed my toenails. Oh, good <laughs> just, just kidding. Too, too much information. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, so David is saying, I trust in you, God. Verse 3, none who wait for you will be put to shame. You will never let me down. Verse 3b, it's those who don't walk in your ways who will be ashamed. But believers who trust in you, ultimately, as time passes, the whole world will see that they were right, that they did put their weight in the right place. They entrusted themselves to the right person. And this is really relevant to the matter of getting guidance from God. When we turn to God and lift our souls to Him, we're entrusting our whole lives to Him, even our eternity to Him. God's will has to do with big decisions in life, and following God's will will often mean that we make decisions that are going to seem a bit weird to the world. This is going to come up again in our next week's episode too. It might even make enemies for us, people who mock us because we're walking through life in this strange way, doing things and choosing things that don't make sense to them. Yeah, that's right. And we'll only be able to do that if we trust, if we believe that God will not disappoint us in the end, that He is the only one we can build our life on and the storm won't knock it down. We will not be ashamed if we build our life on Him. All right, so we're saying that the most important thing about knowing God's will for our life is God. Number one, it's to God that we turn. Number two, it's in God we trust. What about number three? It's God-likeness that we want. So David has just stated his creed. He said, I trust in God. Those who wait for God will never be put to shame. They'll never have the awful, embarrassing situation of having put all their trust in something only to have that thing give way and all their hopes go crashing down. Put your trust in God and that'll never happen. On the flip side, David says, those who don't trust in God and live in his ways will be put to shame. So it makes sense that in verses 4 to 5, David says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. 
He doesn't want to be like his enemies who don't walk in God's ways and thus will be put to shame one day. And here we do get fully into the topic of guidance, don't we? He, he wants to know God's ways, his paths, lead me in your truth. These are the kinds of words we use when we talk about knowing God's will. That's true. And for that reason, we need to make sure we understand what these words actually mean. I plan to talk about this quite a bit more in my next episode on Psalm 25, but we'll just touch on it a wee bit here. Very often, when we read verses in the Bible about God's ways and his paths, we think this is all about our vocational choices. That's J.I. Packer's term for it. Which job should I take, in other words, or which course should I enroll in this fall semester? Um, which girl should I ask out? Where should I live? Should we put our kids in public school or private school or home school? And these are all decisions that the Bible does not give pinpoint specific answers to. It gives us guidelines and principles, but there's no verse in the Bible that told me, you know, that God's plan for me was to marry Helen Smith and that we should have four children and a dog named Maisie. These are vocational choices. And when David says, make me to know your ways, he's not saying, God, show me which vocational path I'm to take. He's talking more about ethical ways or, or moral ways. He's praying, God, show me how to live in the way that pleases you. Um, teach me to walk in your way of righteousness and forgiveness and purity. And when you say that, it brings to my mind the words of Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think J.I. Packer keys in that phrase in his book about the will of God. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So David is celebrating how God shepherds and shows him how to walk in paths of righteous behavior. Well, yeah, that's a great cross-reference. And this was obviously a culture where the automobile hadn't been invented yet. And wherever you went, you had to walk there. So it's easy to understand how in this culture, the idea of a path or a trail or, or a way would become an image for how one lives their life. I mean, just think of all the New Testament verses about how we're to walk, and that's talking about our way of life. To get around in the land of Israel, you had to deal with some pretty formidable terrain. You couldn't just go any old way you pleased. You had to take the right path to get to your destination. Some paths were good, some trails were dangerous. And in Psalm 1, uh, remember, you, you've got the way of the wicked set against the way of the righteous. Right, and the question then becomes, what's more important to me? That God leads me into a certain career or that he leads me into righteous behavior and a certain kind of character. Or what's more important to me, me finding a spouse or, or growing in sanctification. Of course, work, our work and finding a spouse and these vocational decisions are really, really important. We want young men and women to know God's providence in their lives and finding work and a partner for life and so on. That's really important. And Lord willing, we'll come back to these questions in, in episodes in the near future. But, but remember this psalm, what do we really want? Do we value God only because he's the one who's got control over our lives and we need him to give us the right life outcome, but it's not really him we're after? Well, as I confessed earlier, so often that is how I've treated him. And that's why we need this prayer in Psalm 25. When we pray the first five verses of Psalm 25, we're learning to come to God and say, it's, it's you I turn to, it's you I trust, it's you I want. God, I really need you to help me sort out some of these big questions in my life. I have some massive decisions to make, but what I need even more 
is for you to make me know your ways and teach me your paths. Make me to be more like you. Mm. Well, as we're wrapping this episode up, Mike, I'd love you to come to verse number five, lead me in your truth and teach me. The CSB uses the, the phrase, guide me in your truth. Some Hebrew scholars would say that neither of those translations fully gives us the sense of this word. What's, what do you think the thought is there? Yeah, I think the idea is this. It's, it's cause me to walk in your truth. Make me do it, Lord. So you see how invasive this is. David's going to admit to a lot of sin in his life in this psalm. We're going to get there with your um, episode next week, Matthew. But here he's so desperate to grow in likeness to God, he tells God to make him do it. And, and Darby actually is one of the very few translators that, that renders it this way. He says, make me to walk in your truth. The, the Good News Bible has teach me to live according to your truth. So maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, man, it's true, you know, like I want God's vocational guidance more than the guide himself. I'm, I'm more interested in the spouse he can give me than the sanctification he wants to give me. And I care more about my career than having a certain kind of godly character. How can I possibly change? And the answer is always the same. It's turn to God, pray this prayer. To you, Lord, I lift up my soul. Here I am, full of distorted desires and misplaced priorities. And I present that to you, Lord. It's, it's in you I trust. And because I trust you, Make me to know your ways, not just to know them. Make me walk in them. Cause me to conform to them. And so maybe someone could pray, Lord, right now I'm addicted to things that are sexually impure. Do what it takes to get me out of this so that I walk in your ways. Uh, Father, all I care about is myself and what others think about me. Do whatever it takes to make me a humble man. Or, Lord, I can dish out money like crazy when it's for me. But just thinking about giving someone else a $20 bill when, when they're in need feels like martyrdom to me. Do whatever you need to do to make me more generous like you. I want to be like you, Lord. Well, those are challenging prayers, Mike. Very good. And I honestly don't think any of us could pray this way if it wasn't for the next line in the psalm. Make me walk in your truth, for you are the God of my salvation. How can we find the courage to ask God to make us walk in his ways? Well, only when we remember that God's Son came to this world to be the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. He came to be the way back to the Father and to make a way back to the Father. And that's why in the book of the Acts, we see Christianity being referred to as the way. It's the way of salvation. And it leads to a new way of life, right? Or as the band Switchfoot puts it, a new way of being human. It's a way of being human where we know that the very God who made us became human so that he could die for us and take the punishment for all our sins. And when we see how much he loved us and know that we're totally forgiven and accepted by him, even when our hearts are a long way away from where they should be, it's then that we can honestly say to God, you're the one I turn to. You're the one I trust with my life. You're the one I want to be like and imitate. Make me to love the way you love. Cause me to forgive the way you forgive. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Yeah, and we don't have to doubt that that is God's way. That is the will of God. Ephesians 4, the end of Ephesians 4 and into chapter 5. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And listen to this. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. And 
I just want to re-emphasize what Mike's been telling us today, that the most important thing about knowing God's will is God. And I want to re-emphasize that because I want to say it to myself and preach it to myself. I want to hear it again and again as well and hope that you'll ponder these words today too. Thanks so much for this teaching today, Mike. Well, you're welcome, Matthew. Uh, these words that we've been memorizing have been a blessing to me and a challenge too. But um, listeners, we're, we're heading into verses 6 to 10. We really encourage you to try and memorize those five verses this week. And what we're going to find as we memorize them and as Matthew takes us through them next week is that for all of us who uh, struggle with sin in our life, there is tremendous hope and confidence that God is willing to guide us still. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Mm-hmm.